Welcome to the UFTA Podcast. Hosted by Emily O'Connor and Jordan Rudolph. The UFTA Podcast brings you a surprisingly fresh take on everyday topics in health, fitness, and everything in between. We want to open the door to explore new information and new solutions in a way that's easy for you to understand and apply to your own life. Let's get into today's episode. Hey guys, welcome back to episode 7 of the UFTA podcast. We are happy to be here. I'm Jordan Rudolph, and once again, I am joined by Emily. Hello. How are you, Jordan? I'm doing pretty well. How are you, Em? I'm all right. Just finished up a workout. Had a, one of our former members stop in, so it's good to chat with him for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. That was that was really awesome to see him, and I just walked in, and uh, I saw him as well. So, Carl, if you're, if you're listening to this in episode 7, it's great to see you as always. Fun to catch up with you, and and talk a little bit of everything, as we always do. Um, how was your workout? Was your workout good? Yeah, it was all right. Um, just kind of doing some of our stuff that we had the golfers doing earlier in the season uh, with the post-activation potentiation, some power uh, strength combinations there. So little single leg, little rotational uh, stuff happening today. A fun phase, a fun phase. Yeah, I never got a chance to try it before they did, so I wanted to <laughs> really get a feel for it uh so that I knew what I was talking about when I was talking to them a little bit easier because I actually did it. <laughs> yeah, so it's easier to easier to kind of understand. Right. A little bit of that stuff too. Um, guys, however you're listening to us, wherever you're listening to us, we appreciate you being here as always for the first uh, six episodes and beyond. Uh, the reviews are coming in that are still positive. We keep getting people saying that they're you know we're doing better and better. We love the show. We love the podcast. Can't wait to see. Can't wait to see where it goes. We are almost in the top 100 uh, on Apple Podcasts for Health and Fitness. So if you're not listening to app on Apple, uh, we would appreciate if maybe you can slide over there and, and start listening to it on that just for the time time being to get us <laughs> in that top 100 as we grow and as we try to help this uh, podcast kind of take off through this first season, which we don't know how many episodes it's going to be yet. but Right, we just kind of said it was season one and yeah. just continued on from there. Yeah, we do have... Uh, a lot of guests that are eager to be on the show. We obviously, have you, as you guys know, we wanted to try to keep it local first. Um, there's a few in particular that we're going to be setting up times with in the very near future to get them on here from different uh, either areas of fitness or health or just in terms of how health and fitness has helped change their life um, and how we can kind of tie that back into the episode there. Uh, but there's also several people who are not in the area that actually want to be on the show and talk about stuff. Um, Alan and Rachel uh, over the weekend said cool. that they, they're excited to be on it someday. Yeah. Um, and they, they said just let us know when. Um, we, Ryan with Recovery, uh, Ryan Pang talked about it, and there's, there's, there's tons more, right? So we can go on and on. Uh, Coach Alex that used to be here that I was just on their podcast, Building a Fighter, that was just released yesterday. There's, there's a lot. Cool. Mitch. Mitch yeah. said to be on it, so <laughs> we're going to have a ton. We're going to have a ton. However, cool. however we need to do do those but right right a lot to look forward to very much so very much so thank you echoing that thank you guys always for tuning in if you ever have any other suggestions kind of for these i guess not solo episodes but solo episodes with just jordan myself like let us know as we're kind of in the process of getting those guests on here um diving into a little bit of overview of what we're going to be talking about today uh, from a fitness side of things, we're going to be diving a little bit into 
deload slash like reset weeks or phases, uh, kind of the importance of those, incorporating those, why we should use them, how to best use them, uh, a little bit of everything kind of surrounding that. Uh, from a nutrition side, diving into breakfast, I know we've kind of alluded to it in a few different episodes, how breakfast is the most important meal of the day, um, and diving into breakfast specifically on this episode. And then for our main content, uh, diving into periodization for your lifestyle and how we can fluctuate our fitness goals and training around also what we have going on in our life uh, as well and how best we can kind of sync those two things together. So that's a little bit of an overview of what we have coming up in this episode uh, today. Yeah, excited to talk about it again as always, guys. There's there's some stuff that we're going to mention on the breakfast side of things that is new research that's yet to come out. We just get to hear about it because we know the right people who know the right people who are doing the research. And we get to hear about these things before they're released. That's kind of the benefit of learning from the best of the best because they also are learning uh, at the rate that we are. We just get to learn from them who they get to learn from the studies. Um, Alan brought that up that one time from UWL, that research oh, that's at right. Chicago. Yeah, <laughs> couldn't believe it. Like, oh, you got research from UWL. You guys don't even know this exists yet. And we didn't. And Emily and I are both graduates of UWL. And they were doing research. And Alan had posted it in a presentation in Chicago in front of a few hundred people, a thousand people, whoever were there. And he calls us out and says, yeah, I've got this research up here. It's not even released yet. And we're like, yeah. what? Like both of us were like, we had that professor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we took his classes. Yeah, pretty, pretty nuts. So... Um, some of that on there, but I am doing my own research to help uh, give you guys research on some of the stuff that we go over today too. So just know that that'll be referenced in the in the show notes, and hopefully by the time that this show airs, uh, I'll have some more on there for you. Awesome. So before we dive into kind of that breakfast side of things, let's go into our fitness topic first uh, in terms of like a deload or reset week or phases. Before we even get into it, I think it's important to define what we're talking about when we say that. So when you refer to a deload, uh, it's a period of time, and again, that time will vary, but a period of time where we reduce volume, reduce intensity, uh, reducing our training so that we allow the body time to recover and adapt. So volume being the amount of work that we're doing, intensity being how uh, difficult said work is. So in terms of actually lifting, volume being reps and sets, intensity being weight uh, of a dumbbell, kettlebell, bar, etc. So when we're speaking in terms of deload, when we think of that, that is just that period of time in which we are lowering the volume, lowering the intensity, perhaps one or the other, depending on the outcome goal of said deload phase, uh, for a set period of time. And that can be a week. Uh, like we have almost all of our members here at Unity on the first week of a new program. We look at that as like a little bit of a deload week, familiarizing yourself with a new exercise and utilizing that novelty of the exercise is a good opportunity to deload to give that body a break. Um, we also include them Specifically, maybe going through a little bit more of a extended deload in a phase. I know we've do, done that with our golfers as they're heading into the season after we've trained hard throughout the offseason, incorporating a little bit of a breather from an intensity standpoint uh, and getting a little bit more golf specific there with our programming. So there's a lot of different ways that we can 
utilize deloads within training to then improve the outcome. So when we think of that, uh, that rest period to then recover from and achieve all the adaptations that we were training for during the preceding phase of the training. Yeah, so the, the deload is what Emily described it right there. Sometimes we call it a reset as well, and that's kind of what we were alluding to in the title, where all the aspects of a deload is what Emily just described. And our goal is to give the body a little bit of a deload to let it enable it to uh, have a better response towards movement because sometimes strength training and intensity and volume, not sometimes, we create inflammation. Right? And we talked about that last episode, episode six, about chemical inflammation and how exercise and strength training in particular can actually be one of the strongest responses to your body being inflamed. We don't always get to feel great when your body's inflamed. Right? So when we're going through hard phases, heavy phases, like this is kind of like that weird phenomenon about power lifters. Like these guys lift heavy almost all the time. Like you cannot tell me that that human being feels great. Right? There, there is zero chance. Now, the hard part about them is that they don't know how good they can actually feel. And they're, if they're smashing PRs and they're setting records, like that can obviously squash a lot of uh, <laughs> feelings. Feeling bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah feeling bad. Like if you're completing and, and fulfilling your job and, and your dream and your goals, like that makes things doing things that are hard and not feeling maybe so great a little bit easier to do. But that type of stuff has a strong response of inflammation. So we have to battle that through proper recovery, nutrition, XYZ. A deload or a reset uh, allows your body to kind of get that response but not have so much of that inflammation. You should leave the gym during those phases feeling better. You almost feel like you, you, you actually feel good when you walk out the door. I was just talking about this with Alan last week, uh, Alan Cosgrove, um, and, he, and he's going through one right now. He just, does, he just does his for like a week, and it helps him kind of transition into new one. And he, with his traveling and all the stuff that he had going on, he kind of intentionally planted that there before he started his next phase to have his body feel good. The other thing that it allows your body to do is it catches up from all the stuff that you previously did, right? So Emily's going through the PAP, the post-action potentiation phase that we created for our golfers this offseason. We actually embed that into other people's programs, like our triathlete is doing that right mm -hmm. now too. Like we're having them do these very intense programs uh, in terms of like power training and the, and the stimulus we want out of it. But the, the, the craziest part is we don't always see that stimulus during the training. It sh if we do it right, it'll be after. And the deload phase, the reset phase, allows that body to adapt and get to that point too. It allows the body to kind of recover and, and recover faster. If we do it right, it should help it feel better. It should help it recover faster. It should also give you a good workout too. Like that's the other part of it. Right. And I think that's an important note. Like we don't necessarily, it's not the training that always makes us better. It's the ability to recover from the training, right? The training is the stimulus and then the body responds to that. But like Jordan was saying, we don't always see that response until after we take that time off or take that deloaded time. It doesn't necessarily have to be completely off, but we take that step back and reduce the volume overall uh, intensity to allow the body to recover from the training. So if we're always just hammering, 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 we're never really taking that time. We don't really see those responses, which can be frustrating from a goal standpoint. Like we might not see ourselves really getting better, but when we 
are able to take that deload or a little reset within that, we can then utilize it to be like, oh yeah, like all of that stuff I was doing before, like you guys might not know the science, Jordan and I or coaches that are listening probably do or should know the science. Uh, so you might not know it as a non-coach uh, person, but knowing that, hey, being able to see the anecdotal like, oh yes, I got better, I got stronger, is helpful in knowing that what you're doing is important uh, and is working towards the goal that you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, so that when we when we go down that realm, we say deload, Automat- and that's why I like the term reset because it just lets your body reset. Like we we exclusively call it deload, but we we almost should just change the name reset, reset here. Yeah. Uh, I I know I say it a lot more, and I like writing it a lot more in that way when we do programming, because it helps your body just reset and gear up for what's next. If we continue to just bash the body and just smash it to pieces in terms of what we do in the gym, which is fun, which is useful, the body just can't have time to adapt. It just can't keep taking that. At some point, the the, the, the straw breaks, right? It, it, and at some point, what, we, what we're doing is working doesn't work. And the deloads, the, the, the resets, whatever it is, if it's four weeks, if it's one week, if it's two weeks, that, that kind of seems to be um, dependent on the person. But typically, we'd say a week. And it doesn't mean that we're going to take it necessarily easy. It might not come in the form of like a five rep or a four rep, you know, max or some sort of heavy thing. But it's be, it, 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 the big thing is to kind of work on the imbalances, work on the asymmetries, work on things that you don't usually do. So you can kind of get a little bit of piece of that in there and get that overall total body feeling again. And then you can go back into what you need to do when it's time to do that. Yeah, and just like you said, feeling good. Um, knowing knowing what it feels like to feel good as opposed to just always feeling run down is kind of an important um, piece of training from just like a mental standpoint and kind of keeping your head in the game, so to speak, um, knowing that like, oh, yes, what I'm doing is working. What I'm doing is beneficial for my body. I just needed that time to reset to be able to necessarily see exactly how beneficial it might be. Yeah, and and ultimately, guys, the big thing that happens here is your body gets a chance to recover and calm down. Inflammation leaves. It can feel better from it. It also gives that body that sense of uh, response to restore, regenerate, and and it allows it to catch up. We're almost matching uh, a little bit more of like the recovery with the work output. I've seen incredible results during a a deload phase or a reset. When I first started training, I used to tell people, I'm going to give you a straight week off. Like you went 48 sessions in a row with me three times a week hard like we were we were training hard like take a week off and i've seen people where they came back and they were 10 pounds less uh because that body was just holding on to so much inflammation and and the body didn't know what to do like they they lost some weight but the thing is you're not losing muscle like you're not going to lose anything out of this deload phase or reset phase and that's what i want the big thing to understand is like i'm personally going through one right now and uh, i did it intentionally because I was traveling for a week and a half, two weeks, where I knew I wasn't going to have access to a great gym or I didn't want to try and look for one. I just wanted my body to recover and adapt, and now it's kind of getting back into things. But that doesn't mean I didn't do anything. I did things, but I did things that I normally wouldn't do or different variations of them because of what I had access to or the time that I wanted to put into it or just in terms of it being that reset week. And now I can get back into my normal thing and doing that again. And the craziest part that happens for me in a deload if I go too long or a reset phase if I go too long 
um, I actually start to kind of feel like I'm not doing enough in terms of like my overall body movement because I'll change so many things. Um, I'm not as consistent, so I'm, I'm not working all the time on the things that I want to be working on to help my body. Mm-hmm. And I've actually got gotten like a little, uh, I've, I've always made the joke like I'm never going to deload again because last year I had like three or four times in a row I deloaded when I ended up getting hurt. Um, and one of the, one of the freak ones was my shoulder. We still don't know how or when or whatever that happened, but there's like little tiny things. I'm like, what's ha- What's this now? I'm, I'm deloading. Like this should be when I feel good. And then I, yeah. and then I'd have like an elbow thing, like my tendonitis would come back or my patella tendonitis would come back for like a day. I'm like, what is going on? Yeah. So I made the joke, like I'm never doing this again, but it's seriously one of my favorite times to have in my program. Like I love reset weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you said, it just allows you that opportunity to dive in, maybe focus on some things that perhaps are going to be beneficial in tuning up other areas of your program that you do touch on more frequently, or just the ability to kind of play around, see what feels good, um, different variations, those types of things. I always like to use it as a time to experiment with some stuff that I might want to give uh, members as well, but I like to experience that personally first. So I'll sometimes utilize it for that um, as well. But I like what you said about keeping in kind of those things that make your body feel good. And just because it is a reset doesn't necessarily mean like, oh, I'm going to reset and do nothing for a whole week. And I am 100% guilty of that. Uh, That happened last year in my 50K training. I took a little deload reset week and perhaps reset and deloaded too hard. uh, And it took me a little bit to kind of feel the groove again and get back into it so knowing like okay this is my you know base level of I'm gonna make sure I'm hitting the lifts and just make sure I bring the intensity down or whatever the deload plan is but making sure we keep like walking is always a positive I think we talked about that in episode one so generally moving the soft tissue the mobility that type of thing um keeping that in there even though the intensity in the gym might be coming down a little bit during that phase Mm -hmm. yeah so it doesn't mean again just because the word deload is in there it doesn't mean we're not training for something Mm -hmm. oftentimes this is how we're what we're training for this is when it happens this is when we can kind of get those results and those benefits from it plus we shouldn't just be trying to beat our body down every time like these weeks these weeks these reset weeks these reset phases are how we get better and the cool thing is like you can feel your you can feel your when you leave here when you leave your workout that you can feel you're better from it too so it's um it's hard to do that unless you're consistent right mm-hmm. a lot of times these reset weeks these deload weeks these phases are are just randomly built into how your schedule is in terms of your job your career your profession um, and how they all work but if someone trains hard and they're very consistent and everything these do eventually come up in their phases or in their programming and they're they're a nice blessing right? They're, they're super nice. But a lot of times these things can be naturally just part of how your schedule breaks down too. So they can, they can have that with trips that you take or, you know, if you're traveling for a week for work, you know, something that comes up like that um, can also count towards these as well. Mm-hmm. There, we have two people in India right now, right? And they're there for a month. I'm like, hey, you two have been phenomenal for like four or five months here, like just right. absolutely knocking out of the park. Sid, you're listening to this like i think the guy set like 10 prs in the last two or three months like just insane stuff and like heavy stuff too um and he's worried about he's going to lose all of that I'm like no man like 
you don't understand your body's going to thank you for, for yeah. taking a little time it's away from this. It's going to feel so good when yeah. you come back. Yeah, and, and they're, they, they said it's hot over there and they're staying so busy they can barely get these workouts in. I'm like, hey, just do what you can. Like, just let your body appreciate this moment. Like, we're, we're on week two of them being gone. Um, and the muscle won't, it, unless you stop training completely, like, the muscle won't start going away until, like, four to six weeks anyway. So we're fine. Yeah, but, I remember yeah. looking that up during the beginning of um, shutdown to, like, maintain muscle. Like, it's, oh, gosh, I want to say it's, like, a, it was an odd number. It was, like, 7% or 11%. I'll have to look up the, I'll find the research article that talks about it, but, like, 7% or 11%, somewhere in there of, like, total overall volume to just maintain yeah. what you have. So you're, it's, a reset week is not going to be your end-all, be-all, or reset month, mm-hmm. for that matter. For, for for instance, just on a side note, for golfers listen, listening to this, or just in terms of not just golfers, speed work for track, baseball, basketball, whatever it is, speed. Um, the new research out there on that part of it coming from uh, Utah Valley is uh, a, one of the biomechanists there has been uh, hired to work with super speed training, who does a lot of their work with golfers and, and created some clubs to help with super speed training. They've completely revamped their protocols over COVID because he had time to check and go through a bunch of different research, and they've, they've done it. But the cool thing is they now have these maintenance phases built in. And the maintenance phase, all you need to do is one set of their current level two per week to maintain the speed that you've done. Like one time per week, 15 minutes a week, guys, when you get to that maintenance level, when you get to that, that deload or reset instead of doing three times 15 minutes a week with swinging as hard as you can. We just need one time a week to maintain the speed. And he has mentioned in his podcast and his other research that this should be relevant towards most other speed work as well. We're not trying to necessarily increase speed. We're just making sure that we're doing enough to maintain or not lose. That's kind of what the reset is too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I don't know that I have anything else to add to that. You need to Adam in, dive guys. into some yeah. nutrition. Add, add, Adam and we'll dive into nutrition. The last word, like add these into your programs, especially if you've been super consistent. I would say, oh gosh, I mean, if you've been going for like four or five months hard, like I would say, you know, typically if you, I would, I would bank it on like a month, right? If you mm-hmm. train hard for a month, give yourself a one week deload or reset like a one-week phase. If you've been hard for two months, to go two weeks. If you've been hard for three months, go like three weeks or four months, four weeks. Like try to find that. How our programs work here at Unity, most of them are built on a six-week phase. So every six weeks, if you come twice a week for your training, every six weeks it'll change. You can come more. You can, it can be four to six weeks, right? Typically it's six. Every first week of the new phase is automatic deload, which means that we bring the, the, uh, the sets down a little bit just to teach you some movements and get you comfortable with the new stuff. So we kind of, we, we do a very slight embedding of that into how we program things, but we don't do a complete phase of four to six weeks of a reset or deload unless it's needed uh, until every 10 phases. So we have one week little ones for 10 phases, and then we have a big one that's the first phase uh, it's how everybody starts here as well because we want to tackle their asymmetries and imbalances right away. Um, but but uh, that's kind of how I'd say it for you. So like every for every four weeks of hard training, consistent training that you do, give yourself at least one when it's time. When it's time. It's a very nice way to transition into your next phase. Yeah, agreed. I, I did not do that prior to coming to Unity, and that's been very nice to just have one automatically built into my training. 
as opposed to just kind of feeling it out, um, which is what I did prior to this, um, and just kind of feeling where it fits best, where my body feels it, as opposed to knowing now, like, oh, every six weeks, roughly, I will have have a, a little reset in there, and I've really enjoyed that from a personal level as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, diving into our nutrition, uh, specifically breakfast, I know you had some research. Do you want to kick us off with some of that or just an overview of breakfast? Where do you want to begin? Yeah, so it's one of those age-old questions. Do I eat breakfast? Do I not eat breakfast? Um, and, it's, and it's always kind of been a mixed bag, right? Everyone's always like, oh, I was told not to eat breakfast. I can lose weight. Oh, I, can, I was told to eat breakfast and it'll help me with my metabolism. And then I should eat small meals throughout the day. Uh, I was told like, I'm doing intermittent fasting, so I don't eat breakfast until X time. But I was told to eat breakfast first thing in the morning, so it helps jumpstarts my day and stabilizes my blood sugar, right? There's, there's stuff all over in between. At the end of the day, I think Emily and I will both agree to this, so we're going to give you our opinions on it first. And if they are perfectly aligned, then we'll just move along, which they probably will be, but we'll see. Um, at the end of the day, though, when it comes to this breakfast thing, if you're able to get the results that you want and are getting the results that you want, we don't give a shit what you do as long as it's healthy, right? So if you are wanting to lose weight and you're eating breakfast and it's crappy breakfast and you're not losing weight, okay, we probably can look at it there. If you're losing weight and you're eating a healthy breakfast every day or your goal is to lose weight and you're eating healthy breakfast every day and you're losing weight, cool, keep doing what you're doing. If you're wanting to lose weight or maintain your weight and you're skipping breakfast because you're intermittent fasting for 16 hours, 12 hours, and either same same patterns like are you are you getting your results yes or no if you're not then we need to change something if you are keep doing what you're doing we're not going to tell you any different in my opinion i probably to no one's surprise agree (laughs) um i think that that comes first and foremost in terms of um health like overall health of the person like if you are healthy uh we talked about that a few episodes back um, and then in terms of results, there's a, a million different ways to get to an end result. Uh, and how you get there is largely going to be very individualized. What works for you might not work for someone else. Uh, what works for you might not even be really what the research says. Mm-hmm. Though we can use the research to guide decisions when things are not working. So we can kind of use that uh, research as a guiding point, if you will. But at the same time, again, your results and more importantly, your overall health are going to be those two kind of top priority things when we're looking at what we eat, how we eat, if we eat breakfast. Yeah. So there will be research out there that says different things. One of the research pieces that I just heard about have not seen the actual research I might have it up in front of me on the computer right now but I'm not entirely sure if this is the one was referenced by Janet Alexander who's one of the top women female uh, strength and conditioning coaches out there in terms of golfers and uh, general population she is a triathlete and she works a lot with uh, younger females into menopausal age females and helping them understand their hormones and how they play a role in their strength training routines and nutrition routines and then coming up with uh, plans and programs to help with that. Uh, she's the one that after learning from her three years ago, Mandy, and studying with her and, and working with her, Mandy, my wife, said, how do you know more about how my body works than I do when you're, not, and you're a male, right? This is, this is the lady. Them and Molly Galbraith with Girl, Girls Gone Strong and 
everything else in between there. But what she mentioned in the in one of my when I was over at Titleist Performance Institute, she had a presentation, a lecture that we spent the afternoon with her talking about this stuff, and she mentioned that the females who are so one out of two females are under eating. Um, one of the two females are also just not nourished enough. That doesn't mean they're under eating. They're just not eating proper foods, right? So 50%, and that could be potentially, you could fall in 100% of those categories if you do both, right? There's, there's, there's different terms for each. We'll talk about female hormones in another episode coming up. But basically one out of two, uh, for females of any age are not eating the right foods or are, and, or are not eating enough. Okay. And one of the things that they found in their research and recent research that's not even published yet, um, probably, is that skipping breakfast destabilizes or doesn't stabilize, we should just say it that way, blood sugar. And that then messes with hormones. Again, this is for females. So I'm sorry to bring this up how they're going to be different than males, but it's just the way that the body is made up. And the assumption is because of the hormones in the female body, skipping breakfast is not okay. And even better would be is if you can get most of your protein in, not most of it, but a, a lot of protein in at breakfast would be an ideal scenario to help then reestablish the metabolism in terms of protein synthesis and helping your blood sugar be stabilized uh, for a longer period of time in the morning because that's what protein can do because it takes a longer time to digest. So females in this case, um, from the current research, again, I don't think it's published yet, has, I will be talking to Janet about it to see, uh, has better results in terms of weight management and uh, lean body mass when they eat breakfast and have an emphasis on protein. That's for females in particular. I think I said that right. It sounded right. Okay. I mean, I obviously have not read said research, but everything yeah. you made, you said made sense from like what we know about the female body, female hormones, etc. Um, and I mean, even just personal anecdotal evidence, like I always feel better when I have a large amount of protein at breakfast. So that's as much as I don't love meal prepped eggs. Uh, they are super easy in terms of getting in protein. So I, I often utilize that. So that's just an anecdotal, but um, I like what you said kind of about thinking in terms of not only um, weight management, but also lean muscle mass. Um, and we can see all the benefits of having that lean muscle mass, maintaining that lean muscle mass, growing that lean muscle mass as females, um, and the importance of nutrition, not only from a breakfast standpoint, but an overall standpoint within that. Uh, and if we can just dial it down and focus on breakfast as just that lowest hanging fruit, making sure we're eating breakfast, making sure we're getting in protein at breakfast, the rest of the day comes easier, I feel like. It can be that first domino in the line in terms of like, hey, I've nailed breakfast. Now it's just that snowball is rolling, those dominoes are falling, and we just continue that momentum through as opposed to putting ourselves in a situation where we have to recover from potentially a less than ideal breakfast from a nutrient standpoint, from not eating breakfast, etc., cetera, um, as opposed to using that breakfast to our advantage uh, in, in pushing over that first domino, if you will. That's a huge win right there just in terms of your mindset. Like if you can get the hardest thing. I always tell people too on the workout side of things, the hardest part of your day, if you work out in the morning, the hardest part of your day is done. 
So now you have the rest of the day to just take care of business because the hardest part is complete. You, you already did your hardest part. A lot of people that is eating breakfast. They don't give themselves mm -hmm. enough time. They're not as organized. They're not as prepared. Uh, they just don't value it as much. Um, it's like the one time in the day where they have like a relationship with food where they can actually think about it because they haven't had any types of emotional uh, situations or conversations with people that can affect how they think. And that's like their only time that they can actually say like, oh, I want to nourish my body or no, I'm trying to lose weight so I don't want to eat. Like they can make an actual logic decision without being too emotional. Like mm -hmm. breakfast is usually, usually the usually only time of day where you can do that, which is pretty... I want you to make sure you guys listen to that again and hear that again. So rewind that and listen to that because it's the only time of day that you probably have full control over your logic brain over how or what you're eating. But you're choosing to do something that you are in full support of if you choose to eat or not eat breakfast, right? You don't have somebody's influence. You don't have blood sugars that are out of whack uh, for the most part. I mean, there's situations, there's stuff. Um, but that's like the only time, like you haven't been impacted or influenced by any daily conversations or people or situations yet, right? So um, it's ironic that it comes down to breakfast then with that part of it. But when you can start your day off with a win like that, the rest of the day gets easier. And you knock that first domino down, then everything else just kind of follows suit. There is one research I wanted to quick throw in there and I'll toss it back to Emily's way. Um, it's a systematic review and meta-analysis. Meta <clears throat> Um, this was posted in 2020 that took 36 cross-sectional studies and nine cohort studies and compared to what breakfast did. Basically, the meta-analysis confirmed that skipping breakfast is associated with overweight and obesity, and skipping breakfast increases the risk of overweight obesity. The results of the cohort studies and cross-sectional studies are both consistent. There is no significant difference in these results among different ages, genders, regions, and economic conditions. So basically, it is saying that if you skip breakfast, you are most likely to be overweight or obese, okay? We can go under the assumptions of, they, they didn't mention this at all, but there could be some blood sugar stabilizing things on there. Um, if, if your blood sugar is going out of whack and it's, and it's not stabilized, it's not appropriate, um, what could happen is that you could overeat in other meals or maybe you could get more hungry or uh, hangry and then that can lead to emotional eating faster but it looks like skipping breakfast in this case of this study in 2020 which took 45 different studies a meta-analysis like i said in systematic review it looks like eating breakfast is a very valuable thing if you want to not uh if, you, if you're if you're trying to lose weight right if you're trying to maintain or lose weight it looks like it's more valuable but again there's more to be done on this. This was a this is a systematic review and, and meta-analysis of other studies. They didn't do their own. They just looked at everybody else's, and that's what they found in, in their similarities. Yeah, and I think that's a, a guiding point to where we can say, oh, this is the research. This is where we can utilize this research to make a decision, um, but recognizing at the same time that research, like when we say that, doesn't necessarily mean like oh if you skip breakfast you're overweight or obese like that's not necessarily the case either hey everyone editing emily here once again i uh, just wanted to quickly apologize i tried to cut out as much as possible but the vacuum was running uh during the next probably three to five minutes or so so that dull background noise uh is just the vacuum so apologies there now back to the episode we can look at the research and say, okay, this is what the research says. What do your habits tell you? What does your body tell you? 
in terms of your breakfast habits or if we do eat breakfast making sure that we're choosing an appropriate breakfast like we talked about protein prior that I would say and again they looked at other studies but what does that breakfast consist of largely I would I would imagine plays a, a big role in terms of are you grabbing a uh, coffee or a creamer, a creamer with coffee and a donut versus, you know, I referenced eggs earlier, those are my usual go-to, eggs with some toast and coffee or something like that. So kind of being aware of the research in terms of that and then utilizing that to say, okay, this is what that says, what works for me and my breakfast um, in terms of that as well. Yeah, it brings back to the point, there's two, you, you kind of alluded to it twice but never fully said this but i want to i want to bring it kind of full circle into saying it brings back to controlling what you can control Mm -hmm. and breakfast is usually one of the things most people have full control over you're just not taking the time to do it or you're too lazy right you're not taking responsibility over it like it truly is like i can make a smoothie in five minutes so if i just have to get up five minutes earlier or even better go to bed five minutes sooner um i can i can make that smoothie in five minutes and i can make it nutritious and delicious and I can be on with my morning and that is better than stopping and maybe getting that coffee and donut or mm-hmm. even and the other part is like when we say protein too Emily's brought this up in, in terms of how you want to make sure you eat that women we'd like to have a palm men potentially two palms for breakfast of protein two palms of protein one palm of protein that is the size one palm is typically the size of a deck of cards if you hear a vacuum in the background that is Ryan vacuuming so I think I think we're gonna be just fine but um, just in case that's that's what's going on behind us in that noise <laughs> um, but as we go through this then that's kind of what we'd like to ideally have maybe even a little bit extra than those two serving sizes for men and women in terms of the one and or the two and one palms respectively two for men one for women but controlling what you can control that's the big thing I want to get by there because Emily noted it on the first domino to fall mm-hmm. and Emily just noted it there as kind of like taking advantage of that moment now, if you're a person that is going through intermittent fasting and skipping breakfast, you do you as long as you're getting those results. Long-term intermittent fasting is actually showing, um, what would it be, uh, not good results. like Adverse. Adverse, there we go, that's the word. Adverse results in terms of females. Again, once again, hormone stuff, ladies. I'm sorry to keep bringing this up, but the body just works differently because your body is designed to create and give birth. That is what the hormones are made to do. So sometimes when that happens, the body, the thought is, and they're doing research on this right now, the thought is that the body is going through uh, too long of a state for an extended period of time of starvation. And what they're seeing in females who do this long-term in terms of blood work is that they're seeing for a lot of them that their triglyceride levels are getting higher and uh, some of their other metabolic markers in their body are not as um, in a, in a quality or a good range or a positive spot uh, for that long term for intermittent fasting. Some females it works really well, but it's showing this for most. So just be aware of that too. We are fan. I am a fan of intermittent fasting. I usually do it twice a week, um, Thursdays and Sundays for me. Uh, I, I do like it. I respond very well to it. I do it a lot in the summer because uh, of golf um, as well. But uh, just be aware of that side of things for long term. It's very nice. We just talked about a deload for strength training in your fitness routine, like a reset week. It's also very nice to do that on your nutrition. If you are hardcore 
intermittent fasting, just do a week of a reset or a deload every once in a while mm -hmm. to just let your body go back into it and cut back into uh, whatever it is that you're doing. I like what you said there about using nutrition as a reset uh, as well. So kind of diving in like we talked about in training, you don't know how poorly you might feel from rundown training until you take that reset. And same thing from a nutrition side, you might not know if you even feel quote unquote bad or poorly until you try something different that might make you feel better. Um, like you were talking about from a nutrient uh, density standpoint when they said one one in two females is nutrient deficient um, or and or under eating, you might not even realize that you are one of those one of two people unless you take a time and say, hey, you know what, I'm going to make sure I'm going to maybe utilize something like tracking my food. I'm going to incorporate, you know, a little bit more attention into choosing nutrient, more nutrient dense foods um, and maybe look at it as a short term change. Like we can look at things and get very overwhelmed in changing nutrition, especially because it is something that's so closely tied to emotion that we can get almost like that emotional attachment to it. And we don't want to change what we are doing, especially if we think it's working. So maybe taking that moment to look at that reset or deload in the nutrition as like an experiment. Like, hey, I'm just going to try this for a week and see how I feel. If it doesn't work, go back to what you're doing before or maybe try something else. Um, but kind of looking at that reset as the experiment and seeing like, is this better? Like, is what I'm doing the best thing for me? Or is it just what I'm currently doing? And there is a better thing out there that I don't even know exists until I go to try that for myself. Yeah, master experimenters are, in my mind, the best people to nutrition coach because they're not totally tied down to one specific thing or the other, and they're willing to give things a shot that works best for them. And I will tell you from doing this for 10 years, the people who are in the best overall sustainable results are the ones that have been more open to making little changes over the course of the last X amount of years in terms of figuring out what does indeed work best for them and when it needs to work best. Like if they need to lose X amount of pounds in six weeks, they know that this would work if they, and they know that that would work and they know how to manipulate their body and their nutrition to do that. The other thing that we've seen over the last 10 years, just from our anecdotal research and what I can tell you what we've done here, the people that have eaten breakfast in the morning, like when they wake up, have had the best overall weight loss or body composition results. They've, they've been, it's been easier for them to do it. So the people that have done breakfast, that have eaten breakfast, have had the best results when we've asked them to do that or when they've, when they've tried to do that, right? The more protein-dense that breakfast is, I am, I am truly, uh, that's something that I've coached a lot of because a lot of people don't get enough protein in. So I always tell them, like, just do it first thing in the morning, like try to get most of it in then. Um, that's been a very big, uh, like a little habit hack that we've done plenty of times with people before. Those people seem to do the best. I will, I will stand by that. And I, guys, I save all of my data. I save everything that we've done here. I can show you it. Yeah. And I, from a protein standpoint, it's so hard. I mean, protein is a tough macronutrient that I think a lot of people struggle with in general to kind of fit in. Um, and especially hard when you get to the end of the day and say you are um, tracking your food and you have, you know, very little fats and carbs because those are very easy, but you have 
50, 60 grams of protein, like options are very limited as opposed to preloading that, front loading that in the beginning of your day, getting to the end of the day and having a more balanced thing left to eat. Um, because you've already, like we said earlier, done that hard thing first, you've controlled what you're able to control, and now you're just smooth sailing through the end of the day. It's a lot easier to do it that way. Yeah, take care of the hard things first. Don't wait on them. Control what you can control. Experiment and be open to change. But at the end of the day, keep doing you. If what you're doing is working and you're happy with it, cool. If you're willing to give something else to try to potentially help you get better results or help you feel better, I sure as hell hope that you're listening to this and hoping that you would give that a try. Like not being so resistant um, because of what you know. Always question kind of what you don't know and be curious to see what else is out there and what able is done to your body. Because like Emily noted earlier, sometimes that research that we can read on and I can show you that study again, that could mean diddly squat for you, mm-hmm. right? So uh, the master experimenter is like, then we know, and now we right. know. You just don't know until you try. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I think that's everything from a breakfast standpoint, kind of diving into we touched on this, but didn't necessarily say we touched on this a little bit when we were talking in the deload um, and reset segments of the show, but talking and diving into periodization for your lifestyle uh, and kind of incorporating both training from a training standpoint, like what do you want to train for, but also how best to fit that into your life outside of a gym setting and how best to kind of look at things and reframe things potentially uh, in terms of periodizing that training within the life that you want to lead as well. So if you don't remember from, I think, episode two, Emily brought up the word periodized in a conversation and I defined it. But what I, I want to revisit that really quick and then describe a little bit more of what we're talking about here because most of the people listening to, to this are not an athlete that competes in a year-round sport or something that has a seasonal sport that uh, can, can benefit greatly from what we're about to tell you. But basically a periodization, and Emily will jump in on this, I want to make sure I try to say the same thing again, is how we can program different types of intensities and volumes for a fitness routine or strength training routine to help you get results without affecting performance and maximizing performance, right? And, and that doesn't mean just for a sport, this means for anything. So it's, it's how we can change the program from a grand, like the, we have a macro cycle, a meso cycle, macro, meso, micro cycle. Mm-hmm. So there's three different stages that we can kind of build everything in and everything kind of has the big game plan, right? So if for instance, we are an NFL football player, right? We, we play in the National Football League. Our season starts in September and it goes, if we make the playoffs, we go into February, into January, into February, um, and basically ending sometime in February, right? So uh, several months out of the year. Right now is their off season, unless you are a uh, rookie or a second year player, maybe in the mini camps doing something like that. Then they'll have their off season workouts that'll be happening uh, if they're not already happening now, which a lot of play- players are already doing them. They'll kind of go into more of a team structured thing, and they'll start doing team practice in the summer. but they don't play all year round. So what happens is their strength training program from the team is designed differently to support them when they're out of season and in season. And they can manipulate that program to help them with certain benefits and to help them with performance. If you are not training for a sport or not in a sport, you can still periodize your lifestyle 
periodize your programs based on your lifestyle. So we can change the program around based on where you're at right now in your life of what you want to accomplish. Sometimes it could be fat loss. It could be body composition. Sometimes it could be a 5K. Sometimes it could be a triathlon. Sometimes it could be golf. Sometimes it could be a hike, right? It could be something in between, but we can manipulate and change and program your fitness routine, your fitness program to accommodate those needs and help you train for specific goals based on that. And that's what we're alluding to here. You can't keep training for the same thing over and 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 expect to get different results. You have to periodize your program regardless of your goal to get different adaptations to get sustainable results. Yes, I think you did a, a great job explaining that. One word that I really like in terms of when we're thinking of periodization is also fluctuation. I think a lot of people can relate to that a little bit more in terms of a non-science realm um, and kind of fluctuations in training and where we might fluctuate up, we train really hard, or maybe we come down, we reset, we deload, again, depending on those events that we have. So if we're training for a hike, for example, our training in the gym will be, when we're far away from that hike, will be quite challenging because we're preparing. As we get closer, we're going to fluctuate and bring that training in the gym lower, allow the body time to adapt, to recover, to reap all the benefits of a reset or deload prior to that performance. Similar to how, in our NFL example, the team would utilize that kind of deload and peak during the season. Uh, We can utilize that kind of same fluctuating idea and focus on different things at different times based on also not only what we want to do, but what our lifestyle and what the life we want to live is allowing us to do as well. Like you talked about, we can't always train for the same thing. Um, I know fat loss is a huge goal for many people, but it's unrealistic to think that we can train for fat loss all the time. It's also unrealistic to think that we can have that lifestyle to facilitate and to best take advantage of that training for fat loss 52 weeks out of the year as well, right? So when we're thinking in terms of, you know, holidays are the go-to very tough time to be pursuing a fat loss phase, it can happen, but could we periodize our training in a way to say, hey, during this time, I'm going to focus on maintenance and utilizing a quieter time at my life where I can devote a little bit more time, a little bit more attention to the training. And that goes for beyond fat loss as well. But strength goals are definitely applicable in that as well. Yeah, I think the, I think I've I've started every conversation that I've started after you've started with, yeah. So. (laughs) I usually use I agree. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So when we, when we look at what Emily just said, the, the main important concept of that too is, the program should consider what you're doing in your life. If you're traveling for certain things, we should be able to consider that. If you're coming back from something, we should consider that. If you have races, if you have events, if you're training for something specific like that, we should have those built into the program. And a lot of times they, there'll be a ramp-up cycle through the periodization phase of um, whatever we're at, wherever we're at, and then it'll it'll reset, calm back down, and then reload again, and kind of do it do it all over. So that those will constantly change 
uh, depending on what your lifestyle is, but the program is considering that. You don't have to be an athlete or a professional athlete to be considered to have your program periodized. This is also more of an individualized, like custom solution, right? You can still do general workouts and you can still do general things like that, but they will not accommodate what's going on in your lifestyle. If you show up for a workout at a random gym and they're doing this for a class, you just show up and think you have to do that for the class. They don't consider that you're just coming off of two weeks of being sick and you have a uh, race event or something happening in this coming weekend that like they're neglecting, right? So a lot of this stuff that we're speaking of here is how we create custom programs here at Unity, but how we feel programs should be considered when we're talking about individuals because individuals have stuff going on in their lifestyle that matters. And that's 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 what we kind of wanted to bring up in this conversation. Yeah, I like what you said about people having things in their life that does matter because as much as we love the gym, I, maybe you feel differently, but I personally don't love the gym as much as I also just enjoy living life outside of it and being able to do the things that I want to do, to be able to go on the hikes, to be able to, you know, go run the trails up in Hickson or wherever I'm at. Um, and I, I love that the gym, as much as I love training, I love that the gym allows me to do all of these other things. And I know that's a common sentiment of many of our members um, here as well, which is why I think we take such care in that programming aspect to say, hey, this is what you have going on in life. This is how best we can train for that. So everyone has that goal outside of the gym. So we love the gym and everything that we get to do. uh, And we utilize those tools to then enhance and improve our lives outside of the gym as well. And by utilizing this kind of periodization for your lifestyle concept, we're able to do that most effectively and most efficiently. Um, We're able to have the most fun doing that, I think, as well, uh, in terms of all the things. Again, in the gym, we can crush big lifts and try new things and all that. But also, we can run races, compete go out and golf on the weekend and feel good about it, all those other things as well. Yeah. we, We have to, when we talk about a person, we have to consider the person. We can't neglect the person. And as much as we'd like to say, well, this is kind of what happens, the person's just jumping into the exercise world or the fitness realm. But the but the I, I like to think of it the other way around. Like we as the exercise fitness professionals, experts, are jumping into that person's realm. Right? When I'm working with golfers who have a golf coach, I am fully on board with the fact that the fitness side of things is jumping into the golf spectrum. It's not golf coming over to fitness, right? Mm-hmm. It might be someday in the near future, but right now it's it's so new and foreign, it's it's fitness going into golf. There are less than thirty percent of the people that have a gym membership in the world. Right. So it is it is not it is not fitness going to them. It's or it's not it's not it's yeah, it is not fitness going to them, it's them coming to us. So we mm-hmm. have to consider the person. And that's that's the biggest thing that I think we can we can try to get across here that Emily and I are coming and attacking you guys listening to this from all angles, is that there has to be some sort of periodized plan that considers you, the individual as a whole, and what you have going on in your life. 
There is stuff that happens that major life events that can cause different stresses and sleepless nights and anxieties that happen. And that stuff can affect how your performance is in and out of the gym and how your body responds to that performance in and out of the gym and how your body wants to burn fat, build muscle, sleep, recover, all of that stuff in between, right? So the more that we can holistically look at that person and, and an individual, the better that periodization will be for that person. I, yeah, I like what you touched on there um, in terms of kind of recognizing what you have going on in your life. And I think when we are able to either hire a coach to be that kind of third-party objective outsider or take a step back, almost look at it from that outside perspective and see, okay, what do I have going on? What other stressors in my life might be contributing to me feeling very run down, me not wanting to necessarily go to the gym, all those different things. And they can be very valid reasons why there are maybe an ebb in that training when we're speaking in terms of like ebbs and flows. When we look at that holistic person and you look at that holistic person taking a step back, you can take some of that power back, some of that control back and recognize like, okay, maybe I'm pushing for a goal in the gym, but all the things I'm doing outside of the gym don't necessarily support that. So is that the goal that I, A, want to pursue, but B, should be pursuing? And if both of those answers are yes, then we look at, okay, what else do we need to change to start to support that so I can actually accomplish it, as opposed to doing a ton of things in the gym that are pushing towards this goal, but we leave the gym, which we might only be there an average of three to four hours a week if you're our members here, right? And we have all the math of the other hours of the week, which is much greater than three to four, that we're doing all these things that don't necessarily support that 168 goal. hours in a week, I think, right? 168? I don't know. <laughs> so tip of the iceberg is what she's referring right. to. So three to four hours in versus everything that we have. 168. 168? Okay. That's good. I was like, uh, I was too far into it. So we have all those other hours outside of the gym. How can we best align all of that together so that we feel most accomplished, most motivated, encouraged towards whatever the goal is we're pursuing um, in in the gym and or outside of the gym. Yeah. See, you did it again. <laughs> now that you've said it, now I'm just really aware of it. Yeah. Well, I did that. One. That one was on purpose. Yeah. That one was on purpose. So when we think about all the things that Emily said, it our our minds are in in alike in terms of the fact of how we build programs and it's for the individual and we we do it for the individual it's kind of one of those things we just we have a couple members coming back into unity and and i said hey i'm not just throwing you into workout like i want to assess you because i don't want to guess on how you're doing so i want to take you through a movement screen and we're going to do nutrition first thing right off the bat because you need to take that seriously this time and they said oh we need to do nutrition and i said you are not training here unless you work on nutrition and 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 simple as that right so in terms of the periodization of your lifestyle we cannot train a bad diet so if you are just not wanting to work on your nutrition right now either or if it's during the holidays where the nutrition might be a little bit more poor because of events parties social gatherings uh, the holidays in general whatever it is maybe we can work a little bit harder during that time or if you're super stressed because you're doing all of the things maybe we work a little bit more in cardio work that time and a little bit less of intensity and do a little bit more lighter weights with higher reps 
right? We can make those modifications for you based on where you're at and help you that way because the last thing we would want to do is take you out of position to be the best that you can be outside of the gym. And if the gym's continuously doing that to you, it's not considering you at all. It's just kind of forcing uh, the round, the, the, the peg into the round hole, right? So they're the square into the round hole. So there's, there's a lot of different considerations there. But the big thing is you can adjust the program based on your lifestyle. You don't have to be an athlete to get the benefits of periodization. A true training program will do that for you. Random workouts will not. They are random. They will get you random results with random effects. They could work. They could get you results, but it's going to be all based on random. Where if you go under a true tried and true program, a periodized program, that is constructed from the ground up with a global goal in mind with also these little different uh, side goals and, and uh, checkpoint goals, if you will. Uh, those can all be considered during the program and can be modified as needed based on what your lifestyle is. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's why we have everyone on a specific program um, as opposed to just jumping in a workout here, a workout there, right? We can dictate the outcome better when we control all of those things that we do along the way and the more variables we can control the more variables that we can align towards that outcome the more um guaranteed but also the more kind of enjoyable pursuing that outcome will be uh for you as well no doubt about it no doubt about it and that's ultimately what we want for everybody in here to be able to enjoy their results to the to the fullest extent and we feel that happens when the program's specifically designed and customized to you and what you have going on in your life again regardless of what it is if your goal if you are training to compete in the boston marathon or train for a spartan national race or train for your college sports team whatever it is or if it's just to play with your grandkids and i don't say just as is a very light word there or to lose 30 pounds we take that all seriously. That is all very, very important to us because it's very important to you. And we want to make sure that that program is constructed appropriately for that. But it's still based on you and your schedules and everything in between. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's the, the magic of that periodization. Yeah. And 100% is that's why it's a thing. That's, mm-hmm. why, that's why the best strength and conditioning coaches in the world use it. It's always an art of how effective that is because... They, some people might work with professional athletes when they have a season and they can plan for it that way. Still might not always work out how they want to. We work primarily more with a general population and we have to kind of be prepared for anything that can happen in life uh, at any given notice because we don't have the seasons on, seasons off type of thing. Right, right. So it makes it a little more difficult but also fun at the same mm-hmm. time. I agree. <laughs> the last thing I want to say is make sure you're carrying heavy shit. Oh, Emily, yeah. Emily had a great post the other day about saying the average, I don't know where you found this, it was great knowledge, great information. I know. Um, the average bag oh, of groceries goodness. that you would carry in your hand is 35 pounds, right? Our yellow kettlebells here are 35 pounds. And we always tell people, like, your farmer carrying two blue kettlebells, which are 26. Like, I know you can carry more because I know you can carry all your groceries in one hand and still open the door, right? So you've got all your groceries in hand. That probably means you're doubling or tripling the weight of 35 pounds, right? Mm-hmm. Probably closer to doubling, not, not quite tripling, but it's more than 35. Carry heavy things, guys. Grip strength and, and the ability to carry things and, and grip things is one of the best overall indicators for overall strength and overall longevity in your life. It's a little side note. You're getting an extra bonus section today. <laughs> carry heavy things. Don't be afraid to carry heavy things. Mm-hmm. You have to do it to live long and strong. Have to do it. Absolutely. 
I will, yeah, that was, I don't know, I'd have to look up where I found that. Um, but my plan when I go groceries Hopefully is, Wikipedia. Uh, it was not Wikipedia. <laughs> that's my that's my source. <laughs> um, my plan this week when I go to get groceries is to actually confirm or deny average grocery bag. So I'll have someone else. Usually I bag my own groceries, but I do want to test this um, theory. So I'm going to have someone bag groceries for me and see the combinations and where the where the outcome lies but that's the that's the ultimate plan but like you said carrying heavy things if it's a kettlebell in the gym the worst thing you do is drop the kettlebell or set down the kettlebell heavily on the ground and and go after it again but big benefits to to those heavy carries for sure agreed so with that I think that's all we have for you this episode. Thank you guys very much for tuning in. We, as always, very much appreciate it. Uh, Any feedback that you have, topics you want to see, feel free to send us a message uh, on social media, email, catch us in the gym if you're here. Uh, Ratings and reviews are always helpful. Like Jordan mentioned at the top of the episode, we are almost in the top 100 on Apple. Um, which would be pretty, pretty darn cool. And I might switch my own podcast downloads (laughs) to the Apple platform uh, just so that we can kind of push that there. But as always, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Appreciate you guys. Cheers. Bye, everybody.